There is no historical precedent that tells us that will not happen. As those of us who believe that we're allowed to have private conviction and not be somebody else's target have to stand up because otherwise we just kind of quietly go back into a different role. But we also have to own the fact that at times we have been the ones who have done that. Freedom for all has to be for all, not just the all we like. <laughs> See? Giving one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. I am your host, Barbara Heller. Today, we're going to hear from the sweet voice of Kimmy Pearl, who's been married for 32 years. She describes herself as a home educator. She has four adult children. And she is sort of an online coach for people who are finding themselves lost in or out of love. Uh, You'll hear more about her motivation for Worth the War. That's the name of one of her Instagram accounts, Worth the War. Um, That's how I met her. I met her actually through Clubhouse. And after raising four children and being married for 32 years, she wanted her children to understand the process of dating, what to look for, and how to find and commit to someone beyond what she had to grow through. And she's hoping to save some hearts and offer her wisdom up. And it couldn't come from a kinder voice. I mean, you'll you'll hear her in just a moment. I wanted to let you know that uh, my book is still on sale on Amazon. You can get the soft cover copy delivered to your door of And Then One Day the World Coughed. Nice large book that you can get and sit on the couch and read to a child of your own or someone that you take care of. It is a children's book for adults and family. And you can be an adult and read it to another adult if you want. But it is a way for us to start to take a crack at the post-traumatic stress we all have been enduring through the pandemic of 2020 that seems to keep having a journey. So if it's something you'd like to look at with a a softened heart and start to heal from all the different things that happen and all the ramifications of it, I I would gently suggest that you at least check it out. You can also hear and see me read it on my YouTube channel. Just go to my YouTube channel, which is on my website, barpeller.com. Please subscribe and you can feel free to watch it, leave a comment, send it to somebody. There's some fun sound effects in it. But I really think sitting at home with, with a loved one and reading it yourselves and talking about it is the best way to go about doing it. And definitely join our newsletter. Please subscribe to this podcast, like the episodes, share them with somebody who you care about, Um, especially this one. This one's, we're going to take a deep dive into how Kimmy defines forgiveness and how important it is in a loving relationship. And she's going to touch a little bit on her tips for what to look for in a romantic relationship. So I'm so excited to have her here. I think you're going to really enjoy her. And without further ado, here is Kimmy Pearl. Kimmy, it is so wonderful to have you here. Thanks for being here um, on C1 Beautiful Soul. I know that you and I met on Clubhouse. Did we meet in the mental wellness room in Mark Hayford's room? That sounds right. And I know I've seen you other times and I followed you immediately on some other platforms. So yes. Okay. Amazing. Yeah, I know. As soon as I heard you, or I should say met you by hearing you on Clubhouse, I was instantly a fan. And I love your Instagram title. Tell us about that. Where does worth the war come from when you are so not 
a uh, litigious person. Like when you start to hear, our listeners will hear you speak, they'll be like, she's so peaceful. Why is her Instagram handle worth the war? So tell us where that came from. I actually got a lot of heat for that when I first started. A lot of people thought I was pro-war or a lot of other things. And I think that I started this as a place to pour out poison. There was a lot in me after watching an abuse situation unfold that I was a part of, and it was very difficult and it took me out. It almost took me out. Um, And so a few years into really trying to get my mental health back, what I realized was a lot of it boiled down to, I thought that there was a lot of things that were happening that were hurting people, leaving them vulnerable. So the idea is, and I actually have, because unfortunately in social media, you don't really own anything. Um, I have three, I have other accounts and one of them, the other accounts is called love is worth the war. And I, I, that's not, uh, that's not my personal, like where my focus is, which is on the main account. But the reason that I called it that is that I believe it's a fight that we need to have when it comes to we are sending people out into a world and we're seeing them be wounded at very high numbers and we're just standing back and watching. And I don't think as humans, we wanna be a part of that. We've done that before many times as humans. I think it's time for us to realize we're getting to a point where we should be able to identify that wounding of other people, even if we think that they are somehow not on the right path that we want them to be on, it's just never going to be okay. It's never gonna work for us. Wow. I already have tears forming in my eyes. Uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot of bully training in schools now for the last 10, 20 years. And as a teacher who's worked at over a hundred schools and camps and run programs and after school programs and mindfulness programs and creativity programs, I've noticed that, uh, you know, this whole idea of a bystander is, is shifting Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, in, in bully training, uh, and I know all the educators just perked up who who are listening. They're like, yeah, we know what that is, right? You have the bully, you have the person who is the victim or the survivor, you know, depending on where you're learning about this. And then you have the bystanders, every, everyone who's watching and, um, you know, not to get political. I really try very hard not to, not to use politics on this uh, platform whatsoever. I would like to talk about spirit over politics, and I know you do too, which is why I'm having you here today. I'm so happy to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so great when you have someone who's so like-minded that you're like, oh, I, I know what you're going to say. Um, <laughs> I feel the same. And to me, I'm so glad. To me, worth the war, um, and every time I see it come up in my feed, it's a reminder that, you know, that idea that if you don't stand for anything, you're stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I, it, it, you know, this week happens to be like the, the second or third week. I, I'm not really paying attention to of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. And, you know, if you're just even watching the clips, you notice that there are inconsistencies on both sides and the world is watching. Like I, you know, I, I can't help but look at the numbers, right? And like my podcast may have like a couple hundred views, right, on YouTube. And yet Amber, and I'm not saying that like everyone should know who I am or what we're talking about, but we have the most, to me, the most mind altering conversations here and heart, you know, affirming conversations about how to literally change the world for the better, God willing, I, I hope. Uh, it's my intention to do so. And, you know, these these clips of like, you know, making fun of Johnny Depp in the courtroom or making fun of Amber Heard and her testimony, you know, and making them both look like idiots or making them both look so strong. 
they have multiple millions of views, you know, for 30 second clips of, of, of making fun of them in some way. And um, I just, it, it, my heart breaks because millions of people are bystanding. They're watching, they're taking time out of their day to listen to who knows if it's real or not testimony about this quote unquote abusive, potentially on both sides situation. And all I can think is, I hope people are listening with the right ears. Like, you know, we, we, there's so much drug abuse talk in it. And, and I have a documentary about why do people smoke is the title of it. You can find it on YouTube. It's free. And it, it, you know, was in a film festival about recovery and it got some acclaim. And, you know, that is the same as like when I, when I, when I was listening to, to the people I was interviewing on the documentary, same thing as, as the, you know, how I hope people are listening to the testimony of Johnny Depp and Amber, like just talking flippantly about drugs and drug okay. use and how it, it's the monster of the drugs. And it's like, I just hope people are saying to themselves, wow, drugs are bad. Right. And I'm going to stand, I'm going to take this information in that I'm listening to that everyone's listening to, and I'm going to stand up for it. And meanwhile, like the Ghislaine Maxwell uh, trial, which was months ago, got absolutely no footage because it was a closed case. And meanwhile, like in that case, there was so much sexual abuse of multiple hundreds of people, you know, whether they were working for Ghislaine and Jeffrey Epstein or whether, you know, they were just passing through as a customer. There were so many people bystanding, watching, helping, supporting this disgusting behavior and that got no views whatsoever because we weren't allowed to watch it. And I'm not saying that we should. I, I probably could not have handled it. And I want to protect the innocent. Um, and at the same time, it's just, you know, it's just an interesting commentary on our society that because he's Captain Jack and, you know, their celebrity marriage or divorce, it's like, oh, that is okay because it's just these two people or the few people they affected versus the hundreds and hundreds of people, that, you know, in the other case. And we know yeah. nothing about it. So sorry to, to, to no, cut you off, but no, I, I hear you. That to me is a war. That to me it, are it is a war. Any battles that we're losing because we're not fighting the war which, you know, we'll get to in a second, which I really feel like is a spiritual war. So, so continue. I apologize. <laughs> well, no, don't apologize. Cause I think it's very germane. So if you think about what we're seeing is we're seeing victim blaming it, one or both of them were abused. We, we were not there. Right. And what we see happening and nobody is sounding the alarm that I've heard is that as a culture, we are glorifying victim blaming we're making this seem like teams, which we've done politically, religiously, with racial issues. We, 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 for some reason, as humans, we seem to like to go on teams. And then anybody on the other team, whatever makes us human, uh, they just pull it out. They're no longer human. And that's what I see when I see this response, right, to what's going on with this trial. And I, I think, so, so what does that mean? So love is worth the war. It is worth fighting for. You cannot be a bystander in this war. You have to decide, what am I going to do? And for me, it was, I'm going to do everything I can to get this, this idea that I think is protective out into the world, which is what you're doing today with forgiveness. Because why? Because it changes people. Because ideas can change people. We can help people. That's, that's got to be it. And so sometimes I might go a month and kind of start to forget why I do what I do. And then you get a letter and you go, that's why I do what I do. Beautiful. And what was the, the word that got you to go, okay, I have to do this. What was that breaking point for you where you're like, 
I'm going to become an advocate for people who can't stand up for themselves and or who aren't looking over here in the place that it's really important. What, what was that moment? For me, it was the moment that I realized, first of all, that if I was going to live, if I was going to survive, I needed to make, and, and I needed help from God to make beauty out of ashes, right? So I needed that. So at first it was, I guess you'd call that selfish. I had to do that. Um, that was my survival. But at the end of the day, it was probably the idea that when it comes to abuse, there are no wholly inhuman enemies. You can be crushed. You can see like in the Glenn Maxwell or in the experiences that I have seen up close and personal, somebody be so destroyed. But then you look at the person who does the destroying and you realize how were they a victim too? And that really leads us into what you're talking about. And I'm not talking about excusing things. I believe in boundaries. I believe in, I believe in justice at my core, right? I think you and I would share that. Yeah. Right. Some people have accused me of being like a hippie or glossing over, you know, justice. And I am not that anyone who knows me well, I like to see justice get served and education coming out of it. But yes, I totally agree with you. Yes. So justice really is the only reason we can survive as humans. If there is no justice, there is there is no life. You're just an arbitrary victim at that point to whatever the wave of the wind is. We, together, people who understand, I don't know any mom that raises a son, and I've got two of them, to say, someday I hope you grow up and, and push around somebody and hurt them and wound them. I don't know any daughters that are raised knowing that... Women do it too, right? That, that if you don't get your way, you push them, you hit them. There's emotional abuse, financial abuse. I don't know any parents that's their hope. And I don't know any human that starts their life hoping that their life will be a train wreck of hurting people, being punished, running from it. Even people that have mental illness that, you know, high on the narcissistic scale. I'm not saying that they don't enjoy that and they don't, but, but did they choose to be a narcissist? No, trauma made them a narcissist. Well, I'm not making excuses, but I'm saying we need to pull out and say, what are we doing that creates this? What, what are we doing? And that's where worth the war comes from is what can we do to prevent more of this? And how can we spare more hearts by showing a different idea of love, a different idea of, of how to protect ourselves and little hearts that are coming up after us. We've been doing the same thing for a long time. It's not helping. Totally agree with you. So let me go a little deeper. Yeah. What is your biggest forgiveness story? It's a little bit unrelated to what I do now, but I think it does tie in. I was not raised by parents that had um, an understanding. They didn't have the luxury of understanding what healthy love and relationship were. They didn't have that. They didn't get to see it. They didn't get to be taught it. They didn't have that. They were trying to survive. Um, There were other kind of mental issues. The time really wasn't about being present and understanding. So there was pain that trickled down, a good bit of pain. And I was the youngest. And I think that by the time I came along, the pain was a little deeper. You know, it's not, not that it was harder, but when we as people start to crumble, when our world starts to crumble, we we can start to justify and see things in ourselves that cause damage in others, but we can't even see it because we're so wounded. For some great reason, I was blessed to have an perhaps an unhealthy 
childhood, but two hearts that I believe were really good underneath all that. But we can't expect people to do what they're not capable of. So for me, forgiveness comes from the knowledge that no matter how much I've tried to heal, no matter what I've tried to do, I passed some of that down to my four. (laughs) right? And it wasn't truly until I understood that. And And I've heard the analogy that when we parent, when we love, sometimes we think we're dropping a slipper, but it feels like a boot. It hurts. I did that as a parent. And now I look back and I realize not only did my parents have less than I had, my parents had less support. They had more cultural things leaning down on them with less options to get help like we have today. How much more then should I be able to dig into the well of forgiveness for them? And I wish I had done it younger. I didn't do it younger. It took me a while to get here. So my forgiveness story was first I had to realize that I had not released them from that. And then realizing how much that weighed me down. And probably that not releasing them probably helped me to pass some of those down to my babies, which wouldn't you just undo anything to not pass that down? You can't force forgiveness. I don't believe in forcing it. I I get the opportunity to hear from survivors all the time. And a survivor's story is a beautiful lesson for somebody who hasn't been wounded yet. And one of the survivor stories is, is that you cannot force forgiveness. You have to encourage love. And you can set an example of forgiveness to say, I have, you know, he has forgiven much, you know, I mean, you are free, but it has to be on your times. You can't press it. It's like making your kids apologize to each other. I used to do that. Now I look back and go ridiculous, right? Forgiveness has to come from the inside. It's okay to set the habit to say, try to do this, try to work it through. If you can forgive them, do that. That's good. I think that's good parenting, but then to force it isn't. And you have to give people time. And one of the things that I've realized is that you cannot also expect forgiveness for the things that you've done. You have to give people time and maybe they will, and maybe they won't, but you've got to forgive yourself. And in that knowledge, we get to the point where we can release ourselves from the things we've done wrong, but sending that forgiveness out, it it might be the difference in somebody else's life life to get healing, to go out for healing. It might be the difference because I know people walking around with things that they're afraid to ask for forgiveness for, that you can just see it in their lives. They're consistently living through that cycle of shame. You got, you got to release yourself too. I think everything you said was so brilliant. And thank you so much. This is like a juicy lesson in forgiveness. I feel like our listeners here really relate to stories. Is there a story in particular that when, when I say the words, What was your biggest forgiveness story? The story that brought me to here is that somebody in my care who I love more than myself um, was abused right in front of me. And I didn't know it because I didn't understand what narcissistic abuse looks like. And in doing that and realizing that I read everything wrong I've had to forgive a lot of myself and of the, the person and people that created that environment because I fully understand now that until you understand what abuse looks like, you can't 
you can't imagine the world that that door opens. So when I started to have, I, I was in depression, I had suicidal ideation, I was in a lot of pain because I had watched this unfold. I hadn't done what I what I should have done, which was to see and to hear and to understand things that I just didn't know. And I responded wrong on every level <laughs> to this situation with this person that I loved so much. And I would be more detailed if I could go into more detail. But what it turned out was that I actually had brought this person closer and created more environments for abuse. And that is very difficult, very difficult. So one of the things that I had to do was first stay alive and second, realize that unless you've walked the walk of abuse really and seen it up close, you really do not get it. And even being someone who walked through it, I still would say, unless it's you have been the target, you need to hold that knowledge with humility because the mind gets so messed up in all of that. So I had to forgive the person who brought that into my life and I had to forgive myself. And the other, the other story that I probably can be more transparent about is I've had to forgive myself a lot as a parent. So I didn't have a healthy environment, a lot of shame because of that. And a lot of times I would just create false narratives to make myself feel good. I would just lie. That's how I made myself feel like I could fit in. I was smart enough or good enough or accepted. For my kids, I wanted them to be a certain way. I wanted things, I wanted them to have my worldview. I wanted to, to have them have faith like I had. I wanted, because that's what had saved me. So I wanted all these things for my kids. And I didn't do what I think parents do today, which I think is really important, which is to realize that our job is to nurture and to love and to build and to, but I was more concerned about setting it up so they wouldn't be like me. <laughs> and they would be more authentic and they'd be happier and peaceful and lighter. And I did the opposite by trying to give them not just choices, but give them a path. So that also has been a very agonizing path of forgiveness and self-forgiveness. You know, what are the things that forgiveness has taught you? Well, they first, they first and foremost have taught me that you have to stay, you have to fight through it, and you cannot be afraid to look at what's ugly in here. Wow. And since you do have children and it sounds like you are very passionate about teaching the future generation of how not to repeat mistakes of cycle of violence and things like that. Um, what's one thing you wish that every young person knew today, like one tool to living a life of pure freedom? So what this ties in beautifully to what worth the war is. And I, and sometimes I wonder if it comes off as well as it should, but I believe that the way we can spare hearts in the future is we can give in the hands of people, whether they've come out of abuse or they're never touched, never held hands with somebody before. And we can start at young ages as we can give them a definition, a way of looking at love that closes the door to abuse and takes takes it out of the realm of something that hits us over a head, like a ball coming off a baseball field and something that we choose. And I think that the way you define love will make a difference on whether or not 
you have power over your own heart. So in today's culture and in the culture now, obviously earlier on in culture, we looked at love as being a transaction, right? It was safety, security, marry the right person, the right socioeconomic, the right race, the right. And I think it's good that we're kind of getting rid of that, right? <clears throat> but what we've lost is that when we brought romantic love in, which I'm all for, I love attraction, I love love. Um, but if we don't give power to hearts to say, I choose who I love, when I love, how I love, why I love. And when I find someone else who believes the same, who doesn't believe it's something that happens to you. And I'll give you a short example. Think about how many movies you've watched where the main character did not, did not want to love the person they loved. They were probably a bad guy in the beginning, right? Of course they become uh, an amazing person by the end because that's the way a movie has to end. This horrible person becomes great even though they might've sexually assaulted you or whatever. Um, we see this over and over. We see stalking behavior. We see, um, we see manipulation. We see all of this. I actually did a couple of videos on this. Uh, you know, just look at what we see in our, in our culture, what kind of lyrics we're listening to. We're teaching a lesson that love happens to you. And in reality, if we want freedom, we will reframe that as love. It does have attraction, right? You don't want to try to manufacture that. I'm not anti-attraction, but I am anti-fairy tale. I am anti, you have a soulmate and you have no control over it. Um, these kinds of messages hold us in place when we're receiving, on the receiving end of manipulation and abuse. And we need to remove that paradigm from the idea of love. Now, everyone has freedom to define it as they will. But if my goal is to protect hearts, freedom comes. This is where it's ultimate freedom when we have choice. And if we choose to love instead of making love a feeling, let's say we have attraction. Let's say we have this beautiful attraction that continues. I've been married 32 years that, that, that continues for generation, for, for decades but you know what? I can promise you this. If you've made it as long as I have, there's going to be seasons when that attraction wanes because you know what? You're frustrated. You're tired. You lost your job. You've been diagnosed with cancer. You, you know, all these things have happened in our, in our 30 years. And you look at it and go, if we're tied <laughs> by this idea of feeling, I can just tell you, that's about as good as tying us to our job by the fact that we're not going to have a bad day with our boss. It doesn't work. So let's rethink it. Let's rethink it. And let's say love is how I choose to treat somebody. And I'm going to choose a character that gets it. And I might have to go through three people I'm attracted to and starve that and not feed it. So I can get to that one person who says, I'm going to make a decision to love you. And when it gets hard, I'm going to decide to stay. And when you get to that point, no matter how much you change, and my husband and I are very different than we were 32 years ago, but it gives you freedom and, and it's beautiful. And I think it will spare hearts if we can move this monolith. And it's, I don't think it's less romantic. I don't, I think it's actually, I think it's makes love more magical when you know you can trust the character of the person you're choosing. So those younger hearts, I would say, think about how you define love. Don't, don't be so quick to think that it's what you're seeing because you know what? Movies end. After they finally find each other, after all that chaos, 
life doesn't end. <laughs> life keeps going. And do we think it really works out well? I would say if I lay the odds on most movie relationships, I'm going to put it 30% made it. <laughs> right? So I hope that that somehow speaks to, you know, that's my passion, but I also think it answers your question. Where's the freedom in that? Yeah. So you really, it's like music to my ears, like a beautiful harp, you know, in the, the lobby of, of a gorgeous hotel. I am so sick of watching idols from different sides of the political spectrum that are constantly pushing this idea of sex as love. Right. I am all for, if you fall in love with someone, I don't care what they look like. I don't care what their gender is. I don't care what you decide yours or their gender is. But Mm -hmm. if it's love, if it's true, like wake me up in the morning with a hot cup of tea because I love you and I will do whatever it takes to make sure that your well-being is healthy and I respect you on every level and I want to build something with you to make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. That kind of love, you don't have to define it with, you know, terms. I do like the idea of marriage and commitment and vowing in front of other people that connects you to a a bigger God that, you know, kind of runs this whole world that got you and I to talk today and whoever's listening to listen today. There's something, there's an electricity that we can't explain that we don't have a USB cord that goes into the wall every night that pumps us with energy that allows us to live another moment. I'm one who believes that it would be really good for everybody to have some sort of community where more than a rock concert and, you know, MDNA is done and, and, and ayahuasca, like people have made their terms about what love is, what spirituality is based on these like really interesting concepts today. And it's so dangerous to me. And I I can see the fabric of our society just melting away. And yet I also feel that the kind of conversation you and I are having right now, this powerful conversation about what is love? How do we define it? And how can we promote an unconditional love, yet a safety for people who want to to explore what that means outside of the bounds of just attraction and sexuality, right? right? How do we create that for everyone in a healthy way? I don't know if this conversation could have been held in maybe 1980 or or even in the nineties in the same way where we are, it's almost like I keep finding this beautiful awareness that's happening now with friends of mine from all sides of the political spectrum, from all religions where we're going, yeah, yeah, let's get back to that because I feel like we're, the world is losing it. We all have a worldview. If you're not a believer in any faith or spiritual practice, you also have a worldview, right? And my belief is, is that we can all have a private conviction, but we need to make room for people who do not have the same conviction. And what I sadly see when you talk about the tearing of the fabric of culture and the lack of freedom is that if we do not have an objective idea of what it means to be human and to care for each other, we will feel comfortable and will justify treating humans who do not agree with us as less than human. And there, there is no historical precedent that tells us that will not happen. And we, as those of us who believe that we're allowed to have private conviction and not be somebody else's target, have to stand up 
because otherwise we just kind of quietly go back into a different role. But we also have to own the fact that at times we have been the ones who have done that. So at the end of all of it, freedom for all has to be for all, not just the all we like. A hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. You're a proud Christian. I'm a proud Jew. Uh, we study a lot. And then we also take the time to study and appreciate and respect other faiths and yeah. sit with other people in their communities and say, oh, that's so interesting. This is similar to my thing. And this isn't similar, but I still respect it. And I love that you have that. And I, I, I love that you have such a passion for God and there are multiple pathways to God and truth. And that just seems to get overlooked because of a few bad apples who are card carrying members of the faith that, you know, we might belong to. And it's, it's just, it's sad because I, I do see over and over again, like all the prophecies in, for instance, books of the prophets. When people start to feel comfortable saying that people of faith are dangerous and create all these problems. I, first of all, say, I think we need to own what we've done, right? We need to own all of it, whatever's been done. But one thing I don't think people realize that I think we need to be more forthcoming with is that of all war and genocide in human history, 93% of it was done by people, by secular governments and, and individuals. So th- so we're, lo- we're talking 7%. Now, I'm not saying we should feel good about 7%. Don't get me wrong. But what I am saying is we need to speak truth to the idea that having a religious conviction is somehow dangerous to human society. And I think one of the ways we do that is by being able to say, listen, I can see that, the, for instance, you know, what's going on today. Like, you know, I can understand that you think that because I have a conviction, somehow I'm opposing your right to choose. But then at the same time, do we have respect that we maybe define things very differently? Am I really trying to legislate anyone else's? What what am I doing actually? So definitions matter. Philosophical ideas of what it means to be tolerant matters. And, And quite frankly, history matters. As religious people, we simply don't have the blood on our hands that secular administrations and individuals do. We just don't. It doesn't even come close. So when people want to feel comfortable, I think we need to be more informed. I think I see a lot of people just shrinking. And it's sad because if we're going to fight for their right to have their personal convictions, we need to be able to stand up for ours. A hundred percent. And at the same time, I also like the fact that a lot of my I can mostly speak for my Jewish slash Christian friends. I do have a few Muslim friends as well who are are this way as well, um, who are fighting for more of a tolerant Muslim voice right now. Because yeah. um, I know it exists. I, you know, I had Hussein Abubakar on here, who's amazing. He wrote a book called Minority of One. Please listen to his podcast episode. He's incredible. He gives me so much hope for the future that I will live in peace with my cousins in the Middle East and elsewhere. Um, yeah. yeah, it's very, very strong. And yet I kind of do like that there is sort of a silent kindness that comes, wait for it, with people of faith who take the high road. It's gotten very (laughs) lack of, I know, lack of humanity. And I think that I have a dear friend that has been diagnosed with a, uh, what will probably end up being at some point a a terminal, um, I mean, it, it, it very debilitating disease. And, and I think she has a very wise perspective. She said, when we stop valuing creatures that cannot live on their own, 
humans, I believe, you know, that is a very close, you know, it's doing the same thing that's being done right now about litigious issues is that it's a close line to your child that's down syndrome or your child that, you know, may only live to five. We, you know, and she's had five kids and she's a wonderful woman. And, and she said, how, you know, what is that now? Because, because this is happening. I do not have value. And, and I think that we need to realize is that the ramifications of these kinds of thoughts of, of rejoicing in what we call choice actually means that we have to redefine a creature that has a different DNA than its host, that is a standalone different. What does that mean for a toddler? If they can't live on their own, what can that mean for an infant? So we need to really kind of step back and say, let's just forget about how we define life. How do we think about what it means to be human? What, what do we think about that? right? Are we going to rejoice in these things? So we need to have grace. We need to understand, but that's part of probably one of the reasons that I'm not as kind as you is right now. I'm actually, I don't go back mean. And I do believe that I'm required to, and I just love your heart. I'm required to love in a way that, um, that exemplifies my belief system, but truth is loving too. And I will defend I will defend the idea that it isn't God that um, that has harmed humans. It's been humans and greed that have harmed humans. So if we wanted to actually do some good, we would all band together and fight that. But we don't. We fight each other. Which is why I try to make beautiful things like this podcast to right. create learning opportunities for people like me who may have come from pain, so much pain. And at the same time, you know, my prayers are so pure, please God, whatever it is that I'm, I'm putting in my way, please remove it. I am, I am yours. Like just take me. And I've, I've worked so hard to be so diligent in terms of wanting and attracting and yearning for and praying for the kind of love that it sounds like you have with your husband. That's you know, really based on values and respect and morality. I, I know we, <laughs> we share a lot of the same basis of faith and obviously Christians went off somewhere and I'm actually becoming more like a, probably more Jewish in terms of a lot of the things I'm unwinding as I learn more about things. Um, but I hear that a lot. Yeah, I, th- I think there was just a lot about because I wasn't raised Christian. There were a lot of things that people were believing that I just never bought into. Yeah. And so for me, it was easy to believe in the man of Jesus, but not believe in a lot of other stuff. And sure. it's harder when you're raised in it. That's why we see a lot of deconstructionists. But um, for you, I would say this. We, for some reason, I believe it's not that we're blocking. I don't believe that we're, I just believe that. God puts us where we we are supposed to be. And if it's a season of singleness, well beyond which we would have guessed or wanted, maybe 20 years beyond what you wanted, right? And that's <laughs> I get it. I don't believe that's because you did something, you have something that's not ready. And you're, it's almost like self-blame in that case. I, I would offer you, maybe the reason we're talking today is so I can tell you that I think it might be the opposite. Maybe you hold something (laughs) so precious that you haven't found someone who could see that the way it deserved to be seen. And singleness is much preferable to ever settling. So I think that, you know, when you start to think, is there something that's not healed? Something is not, I don't think, I mean, yes, if you're not healed, but if you've done the hard work of healing. I have. 
<laughs> yeah. Then you know what, honey, maybe there's just not been somebody yet who could get you and you would never want to settle for less than that. And, and because you believe in God, we have to believe that his every single thing he does is working out this beautiful story for you, just like he did for your people for generations, just to bring about certain things. <laughs> oh my God, I did not expect <laughs> for you to give me in Hebrew, we would say chizuk, such a strengthening, you know, I, I get so much from interviewing such incredible people like yourself. Um, but to be so pointed, I, I did need to hear that today. He has all resources. He has all, he spoke what exists into existence. So, you know, for whatever reason, where you are right now is exactly <laughs> where the world needs you to be and where you need to be. So finding that peace in that, but I, I just caught on to that little thing you said, and it's like, no, 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 no. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's consistent with what we believe about the nature of God. That would basically yeah. say, he just kind of holds it over you until you get it right. And I think we understand yeah. that with our God, it, he, he's always been about making it right. Like he, he wants us to be right with him. Yes. But it's not about holding it over our hand like a, you know, it's because he wants it for us. <laughs> You're so sweet and so right. And I did need to hear it today. And I'm, I had no idea we were going to talk about this. My eyes can't stop crying <laughs> to just say, how do we get in touch with you? Um, are you teaching, coaching, writing a book that we need to hear about? I want to hear all the things. So I, you know, right now I'm on, I think I, I'm embarrassed to say this. I think seven platforms I'm on. Um, yeah. Crazy. I'm on worththeward.com. And when I send you my bio, you can, I, I just put those in my descriptions, but I'm in worththeward.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I have nothing going on on Facebook. Don't look for me there. I'm there, but it's funny. And um, I'm on TikTok really bad. So don't spend a lot of time there. Um, I've, I started a podcast and I'm on YouTube. Um, and so, and I'm working on a book, believe it or not, uh, this will be the second one, but I think that, um, when it comes right down to it, you know, my hope is to get people to join the community so we could change the way we approach these things. So I think the more tentacles I put out, the more chances that I find people like you that get that we can do better with the ideas of love and relationship. Great. And we can find all of that at worththewar.com. You can find it worththewar.com. You can find it in my Instagram. I have um, under my bio under Worth the War, I have a link um, that connects to almost all of them. So yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. So if you think we can do better, join, join our community. Awesome. Well, it was so wonderful to speak with you today. And I know that all my listeners are going to be like, oh, I'm going to follow her on Instagram. She has a lot of good stuff to say. And, uh, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a beacon of light in a world that sometimes feels pretty dark and having the courage to keep, to keep shining your light. It's really beautiful. You too, sweetheart. I'm really glad that I've gotten to meet you. It's been a joy. I knew I liked you immediately. So I, I was absolutely right. Oh, same. Okay, so there were a lot of nuggets of wisdom in this one, but here we go. Number one, you can't force forgiveness, but you can mention it to your kids. Two, we can't have a productive, cohesive, loving society without justice and laws. Three, be careful when you're telling over a story of forgiveness. Protect the innocent, and you don't always have to use names or places. You can stretch those details, but still utilize the really important details of 
the actual forgiveness story. Four, notice where the person whom you have to forgive, where they come from and have compassion for that. I know Kimmy told a story of her parents not being able to be there for her, and yet she immediately said right after that, well, it's because they weren't given the privilege and luxury of time, nor were either of them ever shown how to forgive their own demons. So they repeated them in the raising of her, and it took herself, Kimmy, a long time to forgive them, and by not forgiving them, she unfortunately wound up repeating some of their own pitfalls with her own kids trying to avoid being like that. Number five, love can be a choice and even more magical when it's not about love at first sight and visceral physical attraction. Six, the romantic movies end, but life doesn't. Usually when romantic movies end, we see them go off into the sunset, but actually in real life, once you find the person, that's when the work actually really begins. And it's, it can be fun and adventurous, but sometimes it, is just that, work, and perhaps divine work. Seven, there's freedom in choosing love versus being smitten by someone just because of what they look like. Eight, there's an electricity that allows us to live another moment and keeps us connected to one another. I call it God or the divine being. What do you call it? Nine, everyone has a worldview. Even people who belong to the quote-unquote same religious philosophy have a completely different version of what that is because just like every snowflake is different, the way that we perceive things is always going to be unique. So we need to make room for others' views of connecting with the spiritual or the divine. 10. There is no historical presence that tells us any different. We have to stand up for our spiritual freedom. Freedom for all, not just the all we like. Number 11. People try to sweep all of the, quote, wars of destruction in the past came from religious groups end quote. Yet the secular wars that human beings have experienced over the thousands of years that we've been here were so much worse beyond the numbers of any religious wars. You can look it up. Apparently, the statistics show that. 12. In case you're wondering, Hussein Abu Bakr's episode of See One Beautiful Soul is number 28. So if you're quickly searching through season one of See One Beautiful Soul uh, or on the YouTube channel that I have, please look up Hussein Abu Bakr episode number 28 of C1 Beautiful Soul. And the title of that episode is Why Question Your Fundamental Beliefs with Hussein Abu Bakr. 13. People of faith sometimes do better by not fighting back and taking the high road and not joining the what seems like horrific fights and sometimes looting in the street that sometimes can come out of a peaceful protest. No matter what political side you're on, no matter what religious affiliation you have, Unfortunately, some of our peaceful protests have become just a lot of shouting and anger and sometimes violence. So if you really want to be spiritual, one of the best things you can do if you see a peaceful protest happening is pray for the people who are there and listen. Go there to listen. If someone is protesting, just go to listen with an open heart. And if you notice things that are violent or scary, you can put your hand over your heart you can send out love. You can also back away and go home. No one is forcing you to stay. Uh, but it only takes a small group of like-minded, kind individuals who are offering love and kindness and support to sometimes temper what we like to call ego or fear or anger. Uh, anger, uh, one of my earlier guests, uh, Ambition, the foster care poet, uh, he was in one of my earliest episodes. He he described anger as a drug, and it feels warm, 
But the day that he gave it up, he actually became bigger than himself. And in case you want to listen to that episode, it is episode number 21. 14. We have to redefine what life means. Pro-life versus pro-choice. What does it all mean? What is the spiritual basis behind it? And we actually touched on abortion in general, uh, not really politically, but just in general, what does it all mean? And uh, I actually started getting teary, so you'll, you'll hear that in this episode if you hadn't listened to the whole thing. But I'm so proud of us for not making anything completely right or completely wrong. But I think we get into a nice conversation about it, and I hope it sparks some inspiration for you to do the same with someone that you care about and respect. Number 15, it isn't God who has harmed humans. It's humans and greed that has harmed other humans. That's a direct quote from Kim. 16, and furthermore, she says, if we wanted to do good, we would band together and fight that idea that it's God who harms the humans, but instead we fight each other. So we actually propel it even further. Very sad, but unfortunately very true. Number 17, singleness is much preferred to settling. If you're single and you're listening to this right now, maybe there just hasn't been someone yet who really gets you and you them. We have to believe that every single thing God does is for our benefit. So if you're like me and you're still in this moment, reaching, searching, yearning, praying for the receiving of your true soulmate, your Besheret, your Zivug, however you want to call it, I highly suggest you heed Kimmy's words. And instead of doing what a lot of people do, which is work on themselves even further and hurt themselves by saying, I just need to be better. It's because I'm not good enough yet temper that with, you can keep working on yourself to a degree, and then also have the faith that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. You're good enough for that person. And it just may be taking time for you to receive their true love for you and of you. And finally, 18, we're ending on a high note. For those of you who understand Hebrew, you got that joke. Where you are right now is exactly where you need to be. Take a deep breath and say that with me. Where I am right now is exactly where I need to be. Let's say it one more time. Deep breath in. Where I am right now is exactly where I need to be. Feel free to share that last affirmation with someone that you love, either over the phone or in a text. And just say, I was thinking of you and I wanted to share something that helped heal my heart today. And just quote it. Where you are right now is exactly where you need to be. Thanks for listening. It means so much to me that you've taken the time to heal your heart just a little bit more by listening to this episode. If you liked it and it spoke to you and your soul, please send it to somebody that you really care about and may it bring tremendous healing. Be well. Shalom. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.